Have you ever wondered how deep tech companies actually start? Well, we were too. So in this podcast, we'll be interviewing scientists and entrepreneurs that have taken their ideas out of the lab and turned them into startups. I'm Antonia. And I'm Christina. And this is Startup the Science. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our first ever expert episode of Startup the Science. So these are going to be a little bit different than our normal episodes in the sense that we won't be interviewing startups as we normally do, right? Who are we going to interview, Christine? <laughs> We're going to interview experts. Experts. So what we thought is that maybe because our network is relatively broad at this stage and we know lots of very smart people with bright ideas that could help um, our startups, but also other startups out there that we don't yet know, we thought we'd invite them and tell them to impart some of that wisdom upon us. Yes. <laughs> yes. So we'll have experts from the business world. The pitching world. As well as the IP. legal and IP world. Exactly. Yeah. We, we figured that these are probably the most important issues that startups face. How to develop a good business plan. How to strategically pitch. Oh, also investors. We'll also bring in, hopefully, some investors that can give some tips and tricks on how to speak to this type of humans that are called investors because <laughs> they're another species <laughs> another species altogether <laughs> so that's what we'll do and we'll kick off today with Ferdinand Bartels he is the head of the board at Enum amongst other things that he does and what is he going to be talking about today hmm. you'll have to listen to find out <laughs> <laughs> enjoy Hi, and welcome to our podcast. Hi. Uh, thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear first a bit more about you, who you are, a bit about your experience in your career. Well, my name is Ferdinand. Uh, experience. Uh, I'm a material scientist from education from university in Stuttgart and Max Planck Institute. Uh, I worked since something 25 years in industry with some larger companies at the beginning, Degusa, which doesn't even exist anymore, Hereos, <laughs> uh, uh, and since... Uh, Five, six years now, I'm managing director of a small company here in Berlin called Spex. Right. And I'm happy to head Enum. And you also work a lot with startups, which is why we invited you on our podcast today. Of course, also through Enum, but I think generally you work with quite a few startups. Um, so when did that start? When did you start uh, mentoring and working with startups? I think that started about 10 years ago. The first startups came to me simply because I had some experience about expansion into China. That was the beginning of it. Uh, and when I moved to Berlin, I came in contact with Enum, one of the Atmacom uh, events, actually the second one, if I remember correctly. And that kind of uh, put some structure in my work uh, with, with startups. So I became a member of Enum and so one thing added to the other. So that was about three, four years ago, I guess. Something More like than that. four years ago. More than four already. years ago. So you must have seen, at least through Enam, you've definitely seen at least 50-ish startups. Um, 45 went through Admacom, but we also have many other startups we work with. Let's start with the difficult question. <laughs> <laughs> what was the one startup that you've met? We don't have to name them. It's actually preferable that we don't name them. That you think could have done a lot better. So maybe a failure story. We start with that so that we can pick up from there and go to success stories. We just want to understand why startups fail. Um, so what's one story that you can think of? Well, I, I guess I've seen probably a hundred startups in total now after four or five years. Not a hundred that failed, I hope. Not, not a hundred <laughs> that failed. No, actually failures, uh, I've seen a few, of course not that many. 
Anyway, I don't even like the word failure. It's uh, it's not really fair. Uh, it's it, not. It's in, in industry, you make so many business plans and most of them fail. And just with startups, you call them all failure if somebody doesn't succeed. Anyway, if uh, I think most, if they are not as successful as they hoped for at the beginning, then it has something to do with, uh, well, of course, sometimes it's just not the right time. It's not the right product. It doesn't really work for technical reason that that all happens. Uh, that's just life. Um, sometimes they're just not brave enough. They are scared out there. They That pushes them back into the world of universities because it's a safer home place. So I would say the startups that I'm most sorry about when they are not making it, it's because they they could make it if they would be more braver, finding investment money a bit earlier and don't fall back into the universities. And um, I guess that's because most of the startups we work with are uh, spin-offs from universities. So they would be more familiar with the academic environment than they would with the business world. And we know that you're, you're an experienced mentor and you almost always get picked as the favorite mentor of Admacom. But at the same time, you also um, change the business models of at least half of the startups that go through our program, which seems counterintuitive that they come, you change their business model and they still love you so much. So I'm just wondering, why does that happen? Why, what do you see as a pattern, let's say, when startups come to us? Why is there a need for their business models to change for them to be successful? Well, first, I don't change business models because <laughs> it's my hobby. Uh, no, that's just to not my That's not my plan. It's not my intention when I come to a mentoring. Uh, the initial idea in mentoring is trying to understand what they're doing and then secondly, test them a little, uh, try to see how solid the business case is. And if, the, if I then find out that it's not really solid, then I challenge more and then subsequently sometimes it's changing the business model. Why it changes the business model is the Number one reason is because the people don't think about their product. Okay, what do you mean by that? Yeah, very often they think about their technology, they think about what they come from, they think about what a business plan could be, but they don't think about what is it that I'm going to sell afterwards and who is going to buy from me. And when you ask this simple question, what you're going to sell and who's going to pay for it, then sometimes that leads to a change in the business model. So most of the times we see scientists that have stumbled across something in their research. They have, in our case, uh, material, right? Or an improved material, a new material. Uh, but if we expand further out into the tech startup world, maybe they have a new technology of some kind that they came across in their research. What would be your top, let's say three, maybe five <laughs> tips for them? What should they do next? They have this thing that they discovered or worked on. They think this could have business potential, but they don't really know how or what to do with it. What should they do next if they have no business expertise either? I'm not capable of telling them the one, two, three, four, five things that they need to do. That would be too simple. Um, th I would start my own startup then. <laughs> if it would be that simple. No, uh, try to be honest to yourself. Try to find out what your product is. Try to place it in the market. Uh, so try to see what the competition landscape is. See what's going to be the money maker and what, where's the money coming from. Who's your customer? And when you then still think that this is something that you can sell and make money off, then continue. So should they find a mentor at this very early stage, at the idea stage, someone with more experience to, to guide them? Would that be yes. something to start uh, with? Yes, unconditional yes. Don't uh, stay with mentoring out only from the science field. 
I mean, most important is anyway that you need to get a team together and that your team cannot be from your lab. So you have to have somebody that is coming with some other experience in it, whatever it might be, business experience or marketing experience, but just something which is not from your lab. That's critically important. Uh, an early mentor can help you finding that person and an early mentor from a different field can help you to bridge the time until you find these persons, these people. Uh, that's very, very crucial. So let's talk a bit more about the teams, because we see, especially during AdmaCom, many different teams have come through the program and they range from a one-person team, I don't know if that's even called a team, to uh, larger ones of maybe 10 people that send one or two of them to AdmaCom. And we see very different roles within those teams. What's an ideal team for an early stage startup in your mind? Well, ideally, you have three or four people to start with. Uh, you have the science background person, that somebody that typically had the idea back in the laboratory. You need to have the people that actually can realize something, the people that have a more practical sense, a pragmatic approach to things, actually can build products. You need to have uh, somebody that helps you with some business sense numbers. Uh, these business plans sound simple, but it takes some skills to write them. And you need somebody is really front guy, person, woman, whatever that goes out and sells, uh, that can talk to potential customers, can talk to investors, uh, a very outgoing person. Uh, if you have such a team, you're most likely to succeed. Uh, and, and if you look back to the Atmacom challenges, you can typically tell if it's one or two people with pure science background, they fail. And would you advise startups to get involved with incubators, accelerators then? I mean... I assume you're going to say yes, because I know you're a big fan of Admocom. But when when we interview startups for the program, sometimes we hear them say, well, two, three weeks is a long time for us to be out of the lab, out of our offices and in an accelerator program. Other programs are even longer. They take three months, six months. What do you think is the value add for a startup to go through a program like Admocom or other accelerators? Well, I can tell you what I think the value add of Atmacom is. I've never attended any other accelerator myself, so um, certainly it's the best one that's out there. It's a crucial, it I mean, you, you just mentioned that uh, many of the startups actually changing their business model. What's the point of staying for two weeks in the laboratory if apparently your business model is not as refined as is necessary? So working harder in the laboratory doesn't make any wrong direction any better. It doesn't work. So attending an accelerator, getting out Outside help is an absolute must for every startup. But not go and attend 25 accelerators over three years. That doesn't help you either. So the only point of going to an accelerator is get investors, get contacts to the market, refine your strategy, refine your business model, and then go out. And you mentioned investors. So this year um, we had in the program, I think, slightly more advanced startups than, than we have before. And most of them were quite interested in speaking to investors as soon as possible. Do you have some advice for startups in regards to finding the right investors and how to negotiate with them, um, how much equity to give to them, anything in this space? Well, I'm, I'm not disclosed right now what how much equity they should give no, away. No, but maybe that's, at an uh, early stage. That's in, um, 
That's a case-by-case situation. Um, It depends on so many factors that there's no generalities possible. Most investors that in the early stage that we work with that are really helpful are angel investors, private people more than actually institutional investors for early stages. Um, That works better. The others, uh, institutional ones and the ones from larger companies typically go in later stages. So I would talk to angel investors probably first. And when we talk about angel investors, would you advise startups with a deep tech background to go for angel investors that also have a scientific background? Or is that not as important? Is it important for for the investor to fully understand the technology and how long it's going to take to take it to market and make it profitable? Well, you go to an investor that has some science background, uh, it makes some things easier, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, it's not the critical one, critical important part. More important is, I would say, to the investor. <laughs> I would hope that the investors, being them from larger corporates or being at angel investors, would actually be willing to work a little longer with the startups and listen a little longer. Uh, very often we see them with an attention span of 10 minutes or a demo day, and they're expecting to understand and value the company that is in front of them. And I think that's not a not fair, and that's not a very good of uh, the. T- it's not a good value for the time spent. Great. So we talked earlier about failure in the startup world, which, by the way, I'd like to say it's not a negative word. There's actually a very um, famous podcast, maybe as famous as we will be one day, called "How to Fail," where they talk about how failure is a key to learning about um, life in general, and in this case, business, and then move on to the next success. So let's talk about some success stories. Are there some startups that you love, these ones you can name, that have proven to be very successful or are on their way to becoming successful that you want to talk about as examples for whichever other scientists or startups are listening out there? Well, I I like them all. I I, I really do. I I like (laughs) them all. Naming one of them, it's like a little bit like naming one of your child to to prefer them over the others. (laughs) This is really, really difficult. Uh, uh, I I like the winners of the Atmacom because they really managed to get to to the top spot. Uh, That's Cellugy. Yeah, Cellugy is great. Uh, They're going to do wonderful. Ruby Nanomate is wonderful. Oral Tech is wonderful. They stayed closer to us because they came from Israel to Germany, started their business here, found an investor here. So that's that's a wonderful story that they have. And and there are many, many others. Uh, That is Mata Dynamics is a a great, great company. Uh, From the last uh, round, I liked sleep a lot because it's electronics and I'm having electronics. They're coming up in one of our next episodes as well. But I should have named them all now. I feel feel totally unfair that I didn't name all the others. Uh, Go on the website, look at them and then you see all of them that I like. Everything under our portfolio. So what makes you like a startup? What are the success elements of a startup, of a deep tech startup? Well, I like technology and I like innovation to begin with. And I like, uh, because I like this, I like to talk to those people that had these great ideas and came and are brave enough to come out with it. I think like so many people like myself coming from corporates, uh, we are all very jealous uh, because we never tried. We never were brave enough to go out with something. And we might have never had an idea. Either way. So um, I like them because of their great ideas, these great innovations and the braveness to go out there with it. That's why we like them too. Also, some of them are very funny, as you might have heard on previous podcast episodes. Um, All right, we'll finish up with one uh, more generic question. I'm curious to know what 
trends you're noticing right now in the startup world? Where do you see, for example, are there some subfields of material science where you see more startups popping up more than usual in the last years? Well, we see trends coming and going already over this few years that we had. One trend that is probably here to stay is anything around environment stuff, energy saving, whether it's batteries or plastics that are recyclable and elements like that. Uh, we've seen from for a certain time being, we've seen more medtech startups coming up. A lot of diagnosis uh, trends are coming up. I'm not sure if that's going to stay, but that was for a certain period of time the case. Uh, uh, we had an, a big trend some years ago on 3D printing that uh, in the startup world is actually going away right now. We don't see it that much anymore, but we might see very soon the startups coming from the field of medtech 3D printing. So when you have uh, tissue engineering, stuff like that, I think that would also be coming up. And other than that, is uh, so far I have no way of predicting the next round of the Atmacom. It's always a surprise and it's good that way. We'll find out soon when we open applications in May, I think, and we'll see what the new trends are. So thank you very much for being with us today. Any final words of wisdom for anyone out there listening in the startup world? Well, yeah, come to Enum, come to Atmacom, <laughs> apply, surprise me. I'm looking forward to mentor all of you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our first ever expert episode. If you'd like to learn more about Ferdinand, or his company Specs, or even Enum and Admacom, I've left the links in the description, so go check them out. And we have a lot more exciting interviews coming your way with many new exciting startups. So stay tuned, and we'll see you again next time.